Well, as ever, it's, um, it's a great privilege to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, I think this is the shortest, um, the shortest passage I've ever preached on, just the one verse um, in, the, in the Beatitudes. Um, if, if you're just joining us, if you've not been here for our summer series, um, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, um, which is, is basically the start of Jesus' famous um, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and this is like uh, Jesus's manifesto. He, he tells us what the people of the kingdom should be like. Um, and, and the Beatitudes describe eight, um, eight attitudes, really, that a believer should have. They're kind of the believer's attitudes, the Beatitudes. Um, although Beatitudes itself doesn't come from that. I've just made that up, really. Um, but Beatitudes is a Latin word that means uh, like happiness or blessing. Um, So the Beatitudes are are these eight um, short uh, statements, um, but they have a lot of depth to them. They're kind of simple in one sense, um, but in another they're they're quite uh, complex. There's a a lot of depth to them. Um, And today we're looking at the seventh of of these eight statements, which is, Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. Um, that's, That's blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the cheesemakers. Um, don't know if there's any Monty Python fans out there, um, and you could rely on Ian to get that joke. Um, <laughs> so th- this is this is how we're going to break it down. Um, firstly, I want to show you that God uh, loves peace, and He is a peacemaker. Um, then we're going to have a look at the blessings of being a, a peacemaker, and finally, we'll think a bit more practically about what it looks like to be a peacemaker. So, first of all, uh, God loves peace. As we look through the Bible story, we see that really clearly, that that God is a God of peace. He loves harmony and order, and he hates division and conflict. Um, There are loads of places that I could go to in the Bible, but I've I've picked out four four big um, places that we can see this in action. So, number one, um, in creation, God brings order from chaos. The very first verses in the Bible say, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So in the beginning, there's chaos. Things are disordered. It's formless and dark. But God brings about order. He creates the laws of nature, the laws of physics, and all of the things which, um, which follow those, uh, those laws. There's a beautiful harmony, everything working together in a, in a sort of logical, predictable way. There's peace. And this reveals to us, even at the very beginning of the Bible, that God is a God who loves order. In other words, he loves peace. And number two, um, in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, who are set apart and blessed by God in a special way. The blessings that they're promised are often to do with having peace in in the land, in their their promised land. God brings peace from conflict. Uh, Leviticus 26 verse 6 says, I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. And the Psalms are full of um, of this kind of uh, promise of blessing. Uh, Psalm 29.11 says, the Lord blesses his people with peace. Um, admittedly, ancient Israel's history is not 
filled with peace. Um, They were often under attack from outside and they were divided within, uh, but they did have their moments. Um, You might remember um, that uh, we had um, a series in the book of Judges recently, um, earlier this year. Um, So this is just after Israel has come into the promised land. And each time uh, God raises up a judge um, who who defeats Israel's enemies. Um, And then afterwards we get this repeated phrase, and the land had peace for X number of years. And the peace for 40 years, the land had peace for 80 years. Uh, there's other times that Israel enjoys peace and prosperity as well. Um, but on the whole, it's, it's a bit of an interlude. Most of the time, they are in conflict with one nation or another. Uh, and that's because peace came with a prerequisite, which was being faithful and obedient to God, which the Israelites were not very good at, to be honest. So it must have been encouraging for them when the prophets came along and they predicted someone who would come from God called the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 verse 6, uh, and who would proclaim peace to the nations, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 10. Which leads us nicely into number three. Uh, On the cross, God brings people who are alienated from him into relationship with him. Uh, we'll, we'll come a bit later to see how Jesus and his life in general fit into this story. Um, but I want to zone in on the purpose of him coming, that God might restore relationship with his people. What's wrong with this relationship? Well, because of our unfaithfulness, because of our disobedience, in other words, because of our sin, our relationship with God uh, is, is damaged. Worse than that, it's, it's disintegrated, it's basically non-existent. We've totally turned our backs on him and rejected his rightful rule over our lives. Uh, Colossians 1.21 says, You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. So two people who are, who are alienated are not at peace. In our natural selves, we're not at peace with God. Uh, But Paul, the writer of Colossians, um, also tells us the good news, which is that God reconciles to himself all things by making peace through Christ's blood shed on the cross. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Reconciliation when uh, former enemies are brought into friendship. Which is the heart of the gospel, really, isn't it? That God makes this tremendous sacrifice of himself in order that our relationship with him um, might be restored, that we might be at peace with him. Uh, Finally, number four, uh, we we see uh, God is a God of peace in the new creation, where the division of this world is replaced with complete and total harmony. The promise for Christians is that after we die, we'll not face God's judgment, but will spend eternity in peace with him in a new creation. And this is a place that the prophet Isaiah says, uh, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. So even at the level of 
uh, animals' relationships and humans' relationships with, with animals. And there, there is peace there. So we can see that God is a God of peace right through the Bible. Peace is what God does, what he's always working towards. And it's what he promises for his faithful people as well. He loves peace. And uh, more than that, he is a peacemaker. Now, I think uh, the blessings of being at peace are fairly obvious to us. Most of us want to be at peace rather than at war. But Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those at peace or blessed are those enjoying peace. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. So why are you blessed if you're a peacemaker? Um, Before we answer that question... I just want to take a step back and have a look at the the big picture of the Beatitudes. They're supposed to be uh, a subversion of our usual way of thinking. They show us that the people people who are really blessed are not those who we tend to think of as blessed. So the Beatitudes kind of turn, turn it on its head. We're not meant to be like nodding along with this, but we're meant to like sit up and be a little bit taken aback. Like this is, um, you know, Jesus is saying things which are radical. So it's not the rich, but the poor in spirit who will be in the kingdom of heaven. It's not the power grabbers, but the meek who will inherit the earth. One preacher said that the world's equivalent of verse 9, which we're looking at today, would be, blessed are the troublemakers, for they will get their own way in the end. Think about it. Being a peacemaker often means that you won't get your own way. You'll have to swallow your pride. You might have to give up money or recognition or opportunities. But the blessings of the Beatitudes are spiritual and not material. They're they're heavenly, not earthly. We will experience the fullness of them now, but in the new creation in the future. So let's keep that in mind as we think about the blessings that come from being a peacemaker. Uh, And the the, the headline is that being a peacemaker means we are called uh, sons or children of God. So let me explain what that means to you by giving you uh, four reasons why it's a great blessing. So firstly, uh, being peacemakers means we are God's image bearers. Genesis 1.27 says, uh, God created man in his own image. We are more than intelligent animals. We have the capacity to show some of the characteristics of God. Uh, In fact, it's a a God-given role for us to be image bearers. But because of sin, we we don't often live up to this role. Um, But if we're peacemakers, then we are children of God in that we bear his image. Uh, I'm going to put up a picture of a man now. Some of you might know him. Um, if you've never met this guy, can you guess who he might be? What, what about if I take off my glasses? <laughs> uh, this guy is my dad. Um, I don't know if you can tell. Lots of people say that we look very similar, very alike. Um, a lot of his friends um, when they meet me, call me a chip off the old block. Um, yeah, the first time I thought it was funny, and then the, you know the seventeenth time it, it wasn't so much. Um, 
So, so yeah, often, you know, you, you, can, you can tell who's, uh, whose parent someone is um, by what they look like. So, so you might say that, you know, I kind of have the family likeness. And in, in the same way, when we, um, when we are peacemakers, we, uh, we resemble God. We, we bear the family likeness. We are image bearers which I think is a great honour and a privilege if people can say that about us. What a blessing that is. So secondly, uh, being peacemakers means we are God's co-workers. We've already seen that God's purpose in the world is to make peace. We saw it in creation, in the nation of Israel, on the cross, and in the new creation So if we are peacemakers, we are working with him. We are working with God. We are his co-workers. We are part of his plan to reconcile everything, to bring about universal peace. We are, in fact, bringing in God's kingdom. We're allowing a little bit of heaven to peek through into this world now. So we are sons of God in that sense that we are uh, carrying out God's work. And there's no greater work that we can do, there's no greater uh, fulfilment available to us than that of being God's agents on earth. Uh, In a similar way, thirdly, if we're working with God, we're working against the devil. The devil's work is discord and uh, disunity and disharmony. His very name, uh, diabolos in Greek, is to do with with, like casting through relationships, creating division. And the devil's children do his work. Troublemakers do the devil's work and work against God, but peacemakers do God's work and work against the devil. Finally, if, uh, finally we're, we're blessed if we're peacemakers because we are sons of God. We show that we've been adopted into his family. This is one of the most wonderful privileges that a believer can have. We get to call God Father. The creator of the universe would relate to us as a father to a child. Loving us, caring for our needs, available to call and to help us in our troubles. And because we are adopted as sons, that means we are heirs as well. We will receive the inheritance of eternal life in the new creation. And we will rule over it as God always intended us to. Uh, We do need to be careful here that we get the cause and the effects the right way around her. Someone told me that when she was younger, she once said to her dad, I've got my wellies on, that's why it's raining. And the reply came back, well, for goodness sake, take them off then. She's not quite got the hang of because, and that's why. Um, so, so let's not get confused between the two here. I'm not saying that God chooses to adopt us because we are um, peacemakers, but we show ourselves to be peacemakers because, uh, sorry, we show ourselves to be adopted by God because we are peacemakers. In the same way that having your wellies on is a sign that it's raining. It doesn't cause it to rain. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
I hope I've convinced you that it's a great blessing and a privilege to be called a son of God. Uh, and I hope that um, if that's the case, then now you want to know what it means to be a peacemaker. How, how can we be a peacemaker? So let's have a look at that. Um, I think there's three things that we need to be if we're going to be uh, peacemakers. First of all, we must be peaceable. Uh, being peaceable and being a peacemaker are not the same thing, but the first is a requirement of the second. If, we, if we're going to be peacemakers, we must be peaceable. Before we think about making peace between other people, we've got to model it in our own lives, right? Otherwise, who's going to listen to us? <clears throat> we'll be like the, the, the Pharisees, and people are going to call us hypocrites rather than sons of God. Uh, we read earlier that passage from Titus, where Paul calls us to be peaceable and considerate. We don't really use that word peaceable very much, do we? Um, what, what does it mean? It's basically the opposite of argumentative and hostile. It's someone who desires to live in peace with others. And that's exactly what Paul commanded Titus. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. That is, live in peace with everyone, even your enemies. Remember, to the Christians originally hearing this, the rulers and authorities were often incredibly hostile towards them. And in many parts of the world today, that is still true. But we're to continue to be peaceable, even in the face of extreme hardship. A bit later on in Matthew 5, uh, we read that Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So we should always be looking for ways that we can make peace uh, with other people. Maybe it'll mean being the first one to apologise, even if we're not the one who's mainly in the wrong. Maybe it'll mean biting our tongue, even if we know we're right. Maybe it'll mean forgiving others quickly when they hurt us. Later on in Titus 3, Paul says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. He's talking specifically here uh, about relationships within the church. So as individuals, let's not dwell on things that, that divide us, on unimportant things or uh, useless disagreements, but let's pursue peace with our brothers and sisters. And as a church, I think this means we should be able to work with other churches who have the same mission as us, um, even if we don't agree on all of our different points of theology. As in most things, Jesus is our ultimate example in this. Think of the way that he acted so calmly in the face of death. He didn't fight those who arrested him uh, when he was unfairly tried, when he was crucified. In the most unfair and hardest of circumstances, when he had the ability to strike them down and, and wipe them out, he remained peaceable. But we're not called to peace at all costs. 
we're not being countercultural if we just if we just forget about all our differences, pretend they're not there, um, and not say anything which ever might possibly offend someone. That's a common attitude in our culture, isn't it? I'm not saying we should never disagree with people, that we should never make a stand on important issues. Sometimes it might be appropriate to disrupt the peace. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. He talks about turning a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's a fulfillment of a prophecy from the prophet Micah. The relatives attend against each other because one is living in obedience to God and the other one is not. God doesn't want us to live in peace at the cost of failing to point out sin when we see it. And also, God uses violent, non-peaceful means to achieve peace sometimes. I mean, I don't need to point any further than the cross itself. In order for us to have peace with God, violence was required. No less than the brutal, bloody murder of Jesus. So God's peace is not necessarily a passive peace. It's not the same as pacifism. God's peace is active, opposing those things which stand in the way of peace. And that's why to be peacemakers, we need to be more than just peaceable. In order to be peacemakers, we are to be active advocates of earthly peace. That is, we're to actively uh, encourage peace between other people both inside the church and outside of it. When we see division amongst other people, uh, we should try and step in. If there's, if there's a row in the family, uh, we should see what we can do to defuse it. If colleagues have fallen out, we should you know, see if we can uh, heal that relationship. Being a disciple of Jesus is supposed to be uh, costly. Living according to these Beatitudes will be costly to us. And being a peacemaker is no exception to that rule. I think most of us don't want to get involved in other people's business. Because the person in the middle sets themselves up to be shot at from both sides. It'll require our time and our energy. We might have to take difficult courses of action. We might have to lovingly rebuke a friend We might even lose friends over it. Now, clearly, this should be done uh, with wisdom and care and discernment. You know, we're not just to go wading in um, in every in in every argument where we don't really know all of the facts. Um, A nursery when I was younger, if any of the little kids fell out, the nursery teacher um, would would say to, to the ones who had fallen out, "We're all friends in this nursery." Don't know if you can, if you had a similar thing at school. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure that approach works very well for adults. Um, you know, they just go up to people and go, "We're all friends in this, you know, in this workplace, or whatever." Actually, to be honest, I don't think it really worked for the toddlers either. Um, but, but to be honest, most of us would probably tend to the other extreme of looking the other way and pretending it's not happening most of the time. After all, that's easy. And don't we just love the easy life? 
Uh, Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. Notice that, make every effort. Don't be passive, actively pursue peace. By the way, that, um, that passage in Romans, Paul is talking about a specific situation there. Uh, he, he's telling those who have strong consciences, strong consciences, not to violate the consciences of weak brothers and sisters. That is, some people may have a conscience which doesn't permit them to do certain things, whereas other Christians uh, would find it acceptable. So that's a great example of somewhere where we can actively pursue peace, not trying to make people violate their, their consciences. Another way that we can actively pursue peace is in our disagreements, I think. If you're a social media user, uh, you'll know that people are often very quick to respond to comments online that they disagree with, 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 uh, with like outrage, with personal attacks. Um, often it's, it's actual you know, bullying and hatred. And I guess it's not just true online, but in, in real life as well. So let's be peacemakers in those situations by responding, um, to, responding to people with kindness and gentleness, uh, with carefully thought out words, uh, which put forward our point of view without, uh, without demonizing those who disagree with us. I think that is a great witness. So firstly, we're to be peaceable, and secondly, we are to be advocates of earthly peace. And thirdly, and most importantly, to be peacemakers, we must be proclaimers of heavenly peace. Choosing to follow Christ, as we've seen, is not, um, it's not choosing the easy life. And to be true peacemakers, we must do something that most of us find really difficult, sharing the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him. After all, the biggest uh, disintegration in relationship that a person can experience is in their relationship with God. So the ultimate peace someone can have is having peace with God. So we're to take every opportunity to tell people about the incredible news of the gospel. That God came to earth in the person of Jesus and died for our salvation. When we do this, we might uh, risk losing friends. We might risk losing face among colleagues. We might risk being ridiculed by our peers. When Jesus and his apostles did this, people killed them for it. And there's some places in the world where that is still true today. When we share the gospel, sometimes it's going to be met with violence and conflict. It often uh, doesn't result in earthly peace, quite the opposite, which is because we're sinful and we don't want to be told that we are. But sometimes someone will respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. They'll be reconciled to God and they will have that ultimate peace. And, but that can only happen if we tell people about it, can't it? Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? But the only way we can do this difficult thing is if we have that peace ourselves, if we're resting in the blessing of peace with our almighty God, 
then we can be bold in proclaiming the gospel to others regardless of what the consequences are. So if you trust in Jesus, you have been reconciled to God by Jesus' blood shed on the cross. You are at peace with him. So be peacemakers. Be peaceable. Work hard in your relationships uh, to, to make peace and share the wonderful gospel of peace with others. And enjoy the heavenly blessing that that brings of being a son of God, an image bearer, a co-worker with God, bringing about his kingdom. Just to close, I've got a few questions for you. Uh, They're going to appear on the screen. Have a think about them for a couple of minutes before we continue with the service. Maybe chat with each other about them afterwards and and maybe pray for each other uh, during the week that we would be earthly and heavenly peacemakers there's a few questions up there just have a think for a couple of minutes Um, and uh, we're going to share communion together um, after that